May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The Wall Street Journal says the French make the best parents. Well, at least that was the opinion yesterday. Uh, Pamela Druckerman, um, her, her forthcoming book on parenting was reviewed yesterday in the journal. And, um, and so there was this synopsis I read, read about. She said that while she was on holiday, this writer did, um, she was in the south of France. And uh, she had with her her two-year-old toddler. And, um, you know, they couldn't even eat a meal without this, you know, kid doing what toddlers do. And, and then she said she observed the French children who were nothing like her child. And she thought it was really strange. And, and so I, I kind of read the article, and, and it, was, it was. It was interesting, just her take on it. And, and she said that she began to notice that French parents had a different starting point for the way that they were parenting. Um, they were especially different than their American and British counterparts. She said the French lack any sort of guilt concerning their children's happiness. You know, it's not that they're unconcerned about their, their children being happy. They just sort of think it's their children's own responsibility to find their way to be happy. And so they go about learning to teach their children contentment in two ways. First, they don't try to ease the discomfort that children feel by being alone. If a child's alone, they think that's a good thing. Learn to be happy by yourself. I thought that's probably why they why they gave us existentialism and escargot. Um, the second one, you know, I mean, just think about it, leaving a little boy playing in the dirt. It's not going to be long until he eats a snail, right? And probably thinks to himself, I bet this would be good with butter and garlic, you know? I don't, but anyway, so this is the first way, let children learn to be alone. The second one uh, is uh, that they learn, teach their children to learn to delay gratification. Just because you want something doesn't mean you have to have it now. It means that it's good to want. And so, for instance, um, in France, I guess very, very common, three meals a day, one snack in the late afternoon, nothing else to eat any other time. If you're hungry, wait till supper. Uh, if it's, you know, a long time till the next meal, well, be hungry. That's okay. It's no problem with you, um, with you wanting. And, and she says, Druckerman does in the article, that French parents teach their children, they say this common phrase all the time, the parents say... It's me who decides. <laughs> well, hey, that's a great, you know, it's me who decides. Uh, she said when she was on the playground, she noticed that none of the French children ever threw temper tantrums. In fact, she said for the hundreds of times that I was on a playground in France, I only saw one child ever throw a temper tantrum, and it was mine. You know, and, and, and so I thought, well, you know, I think I do sort of feel guilty. Myself, I feel guilty as a parent, you know, worrying about whether my children are happy or not. And, and sometimes, sometimes I forget to say to them, it's me who decides. It's me who decides. I mean, I like to say it, but I don't say it nearly as often enough. And I think our entire culture, in some ways, is sort of obsessed with this idea of instant gratification. And it certainly bleeds then into our faith. It bleeds into our Christian religion. That we sometimes think that God is accountable to us. Or at least answerable to us, if not accountable. Uh, Anne Lamont, I don't know if you ever read her, but she says, You know that God has been turned into an idol when your God has all the same political positions as you do. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean... Bear with me for just a moment. Think about this for just a second. What if, 
What if God had an agenda that wasn't the same as ours? I mean, what if God had his own agenda? What if God thought that it was important that we accommodate his agenda rather than the other way around? I mean, you know, just for kicks and grins. Imagine that that God kind of felt like that. And you say, wait, 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 wait. Of course, of course God's in in control. Of course God has his own agenda. Of course, yes, absolutely. But wait. Because I know I spend a lot of time talking with people, helping people, who come to me and say things like, I don't understand why this is happening to me. <laughs> I don't understand why this is happening to me. I, I have a, a really dear friend who, who lost her brother. He was only 25 years old and he passed away. He had a small child. And, uh, and my friend Heather calls me and says, you know, my mother and I have been struggling with this. It's been two years since he passed away. And my mother still can't sleep at night. Can she come over and see you? Like, well, of course she can, you know. And so, so she came over and you know, Abby made some coffee and cookies and put out whatever. And, and we sat and, and her mother tells me, I just don't know why God would do this. Well, I don't know why either, you know. I don't know a lot of things. That's the one of the main, you know, big perplexing questions in my mind. I don't know why God chooses to do what God does. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know why there are rich and there are poor. I don't know why some people suffer and others seem not to. I don't know why a hurricane hits one city and misses the next. I don't know why Haiti, one of the poorest countries on earth, has to suffer time and time and time again. I don't know. I don't know why LeBron James is six foot eight. I'm only five foot four. Yeah. I know this. I, this is what I do know. If the roles were reversed, I would not have taken my talents to South Beach. I mean, they would stay right here, right? I know this. God is sovereign. He doesn't call me up and run his ideas by me. And he probably doesn't run them by you either. The very first words of Jesus spoken in Mark's gospel are these. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is at hand. The NIV renders it, the time has come. Or maybe now is the time. Well, who decided that now was the time? I mean, was there a committee? You know, did somebody get together? You know, I think now is a good time. Did the angels go and retreat, you know, gather together? I think what we ought to do is, you know, work on the incarnation. Now is, no. No, God appointed it at his time. The time is now. And then Jesus' next word, repent and believe. They are imperatives in the original. They're commands. They're not suggestions. You know, what do you think about repenting and believing? No, not like that at all. Repent and believe. It's like Jesus has an agenda. It's like he has some idea in mind that he's going after and he expects sort of everybody else to get on board. But he does something right after that. You know the stories, right? All these miraculous healings. There were three in a row. One of them was last week, kind of split up by the lectionary, unfortunately. One was last week, then there were two other stories this week. The first one, last week, Jesus makes this announcement and he goes into the synagogue and there's a man with a demon. Imagine that, a demon-possessed man in church. Anyway, he goes into into church and and there's this demon-possessed man and he heals him, right? The very next scene, he goes into Simon's house and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. 
Think about the contrast. A man and now a woman. One who's possessed, one who has a natural sickness. One who has a supernatural demon, one who just has a normal illness. But both are healed. The third story, then, is the multitudes. Everyone's coming to him. They hear these stories, and they're pressing in on the door. Jesus heals many. So it's, it's everyone. It's, it's rich and poor. It's men and women. It's demon-possessed and, and naturally ill. Jesus is healing everyone. Now take your bulletin with me, will you? Open it up to the gospel lesson. I want you to look at something with me. Look at verse 35. It's way down there towards the bottom of the lesson. Verse 35 In the morning, you follow me? In the morning, while it was still very dark, he, that is Jesus, got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions, look at this, hunted for him. If you had a pencil, you could have underlined that. They hunted for him. And when they found him, what do they say to him? Everyone is searching for you. Now, I've admitted this many times, and so it's not going to be a big surprise, but I spend half of my life hunting for my keys. If you knew just how disorganized I am, you would be amazed that I get anywhere, ever, let alone on time. I mean, it's, and I hunt. I hunt for my keys. I tear couch cushions out. I'm under tables. I, I mean, when was the last time I threw my keys under the bed? I don't know, but I look under there, you know? I'm, I'm everywhere. Why? You know why? Because you have to have them. You can't get where you're going. You have... People are hunting for Jesus. You get that, right? Where are you? We need you. Get, get back here. There are things left to do back here. There are people who need healed. Yes, you've healed many, but you have not healed all. There are needs back here. Come home. And what does he say? Look at the next verse. Look at it. Jesus says to his friends, let us go. We're leaving. We're getting out of here to the neighboring towns. Let us go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. Oh, Jesus, do you not know there are people back here who have an agenda? They have plans for you. Why are you leaving? Because I have an agenda. He has his own agenda. He wants to do what he wants to do. And it's independent of what everyone else wants him to do. You know he still has an agenda, don't you? He still has an agenda. His agenda is not, has not changed. It's about mission to the world. Christ is concerned about mission to the world. Yes, there were miracles. Goodness, there were miracles. People were healed. Demons were cast out. Lives were restored. But that was part of the goal of mission. It was about God's work in the world. His plan is not necessarily to make us happy. I know we want Him to. It would be really nice, wouldn't it? He's not a genie in the bottle. You don't rob and you know, outcome three wishes. That's it, it, not the way God works. He has an agenda. And mission takes precedent over our wishes. Like a loving father, God withholds no good thing from those who love him. Of course. But the thing sometimes we need most is for God to say to us, No. No. It's me who decides. Maybe God says it with a French accent. It's me who decides. You know, it's my Pepe Le Pew. It's the best I can do. It, it's, it's me who decides. 
Uh, in the film Mumford, it was way back, 90, 90, 1999 or so, there's a, a story about this therapist who moves into this town. And he's so good at what he does. He, 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 he listens and he has this really practical advice. He's so good that everyone wants to go to him. And the other two therapists in town get really upset. They're jealous. And so they go out to dig up dirt on, on Dr. Mumford. They find out that Dr. Mumford is no doctor at all. He's a complete imposter. He's, um, he has no medical degree, whatever, and so they expose him. And you feel really bad for Mumford because, you know, yeah, he doesn't, he's not who he said he was, but he did really good work. He, he, um, he really helped people. He listened to them. He, he gave them good advice. You know, it's kind of that way in the kingdom. It's not about us figuring everything out. You know, it's not that we have the best theology in the world, though I hope we have good theology. It's not that we live up to some abstract performance requisite, though I hope we do goodness in the world. It's not about being bright enough or talented enough or, or even good enough. You know what life in the kingdom is about? It's about one thing. It's about following Jesus. It's about following It's going where he goes. It's stopping when he says stop. It's saying okay when he says no. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote. He says, The Christian discipleship offers no intelligible program for life. It's just this. Follow Jesus. And so maybe, maybe every now and then the Lord can say no to us. And we can be okay with that. Because maybe, just maybe, the Lord has an agenda and he expects us to accommodate him, not the other way around. Amen.